0: Welcome to Luminous. We're so excited that you're here right now. I feel like y'all are excited that you're here right now. So yeah, here we are. Here we are. I want to give you a quick update. Uh, Chris Adcock is leading our mission trip team in Baja, Mexico. And so I want to send a real quick update of what's happening over there and what's, what's going on. So I'm just going to read this text. I go... Get a quick minute, to me an update for Baja so we can celebrate, you know, and keep praying for today. He says, so amazing. We've seen over 500 respond to the gospel through street evangelism and fiesta and prison outreach. Huge amounts of breakthrough and deliverance for our team. God is moving in big ways. Such a spirit of boldness to spread the gospel emerged as soon as we hit the ground within the team. God provision has kept everyone safe and provided a huge harvest in the people of Baja. With an incredible time, 500 people responded to the gospel this week. That is huge. That is huge. You may wonder why, why we go and why we do what we do. and um, This is why, so that people can hear the gospel. Maybe people far away from God who don't know God can come into a relationship with God. And guess what? God wants to use you to invite people into a relationship with him. God could do it in many other ways, right? He can he can reveal it through books, he can reveal it through so many things. He can he can do lots of things to to reveal his truth and and for some of you in here he has done that. But the majority of us in here Somebody, it was a friend or somebody we knew told us about God and introduced us into a relationship with Jesus. If that was you, somebody told you, would you just raise your hand? Hey, somebody told me about Jesus. Okay, so that's, that's, that's the majority. Let's raise them higher so I could see them. Somebody told me about Jesus. Okay, so that's almost all of us, but some of us, um, it may be different. Some of us, I understand, are still exploring who Christ is whether you want to partner with him and join this family of believers, so I think I think it's important. Um, just and, and there's time and there's space for that. But but for 500 people, their life has forever been changed with the gospel of Jesus Christ in Baja, Mexico, and that's incredible. And we sent 12 people over there to join 148 other people from every nation churches for a short-term five-day mission trip where they built a church and a house. And this Sunday, as we're worshiping, they're also worshiping in in, in Baja, Mexico this morning with all those who've. Come Come to Jesus. It's just incredible what God's doing. I encourage you, if you haven't been on the mission field, it is our desire that everybody would go on the mission field at least once. At least once you would go on a short-term mission. And so so where, wherever you are, um, I would encourage you to do that and consider that. We'll give you multiple opportunities to, to take off five days of work to go and spread the good news. And so if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 4 and 5, chapter 4 and 5 is where we'll be this morning and so um, man, we've been in this series called Nehemiah, where we believe that Nehemiah is a book on leadership. It's a book on how you can help lead maybe, maybe your business or your family. It, it's very much personal, but it's also corporate, right? Believing that it's for the church at large, maybe for the local church, but also the big C church, the corporate church. And, and we've seen how, how Nehemiah has given us a strategy for not only building things, but building people. Building people, because we think it's important to build people. How I many you know it's important to build people, invest in people? Do you know that the church is nothing without people? Nothing without people. I'm telling you, if you all leave, this just becomes a nightclub. That's all it becomes. <laughs> so that's all that's here. The church is nothing without the people. The people are the church, and it, it's God's plan A. We are God's plan A. There is no plan B, and this is what God is wanting for us. And as I was thinking about Fourth of July this week, and I was thinking about how to um, talk about this moment, I just um, I love this song that, that, that chains are broken off, and, and our heart is open wide, and we've been set free because of Christ, and Christ is truly the liberator. And I want to tell you that, that no amount of freedom has been purchased or made without blood have you realized that no amount of freedom has been purchased or made without blood and so our our 4th of july as we celebrate that 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 this is the independence of america and and it was paid for in blood. As we celebrated Juneteenth just, just a couple of weeks ago, that there, there was a purchase in blood for people to be set free, right? And I'm going to tell you that for those in Christ who the Son sets free was purchased in his blood. That freedom cost something. And that should be good for us because, it, because when it costs something, that means it's somewhat valuable. How many of you realize that? Like, like, if it actually costs, it's valuable. The more you pay, the more valuable the, the, the possession that you have. So your freedom is very valuable. Your freedom in the United States, your freedom to vote, your freedom to pray, your freedom to preach, your freedom of free speech, all that is very valuable. But, but I'm going to even tell you that your eternal freedom, freedom in Christ, freedom in God is completely of the utmost value it is of the utmost value and there is nothing more valuable than that and i want to encourage you that if you haven't received that gift right it's a gift to be in freedom how do you know that if if somebody tells you hey guess what you're free you don't have to pay taxes to britain anymore you kind of have a choice don't you like like you can still give taxes oh i'm just gonna pay it anyway i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do it right no 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 you don't have to you're liberate you have to walk out in your freedom and for what christ has done in you he's paid the price and you don't have to walk in your sin your guilt your shame your your oppression your depression you don't have to walk in that anymore you can he's bought it you're free just start walking in it it's amazing it's so amazing it's liberating i encourage you with that this morning Nehemiah chapter 4 and 5, we're going to do two chapters. If you're new to Luminous, we we never go through a book of the Bible, like all the way through exegetically. And and so it's quite a task for me this summer. I decided to do it in our lowest attendance month, July, to do this, to test it out on you. And and when I'm reading this, I'm like, this is so much information. I don't even know how we're going to get it across to everyone. I don't know if we'll ever do this again. Maybe next July. So Nehemiah chapter 4, just to catch you up, so nehemiah gets a burden for the city of jerusalem the city was in ruins the city that was supposed to be the the exhibit of god's glory on earth it was it was the picture of this is god's glory and beauty and majesty are the people that i've chosen in this city that i've built this represents god's glory on earth and it was found in ruins how many of you know, like, like if somebody makes your family member look ma- bad, you get a little mad, right? Like, if somebody starts, like, painting a picture of a family member, somebody you love, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, and they just kind of smear it all over the place and, and smear their name and do all that, you got to get a little mad, huh? Does anybody else get mad about that? Just, just me. Just me. It's because you don't love them, you know? So think about somebody you love. So this was happened is that, that with Jerusalem in ruins, this was smearing the name of God, who Nehemiah loved. He loved him. He loved him so much. And so he was in a burden. He was in prayer. He was realizing, I need to do something about this. So he went to the wall and he started charging the people to go build the gates. And there's all these gates. There's the sheep gate and the fish gate and the old gate and the valley gate, the dung gate, fountain gate, water gate, horse gate, not that kind of water gate, east gate, inspection gate. There's all these gates. Look at this. Look at this city. These are the walls. That are up here in Neh- Nehemiah. This is the walls of Jerusalem. You have the temple that's being built by Ezra right there, and then and then you have all these gates, and and this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles all the way around this city. I mean, it is spread out it is it is a large landmass. on this picture we're like that's kind of tiny i mean i could build that little square right there you know but no no this is huge i mean these are 8 to 12 feet wide these walls they they're they're 39 feet tall these these walls are ginormous four-story houses that they that just were in ruins and the gates were destroyed and so in nehemiah chapter 3 as we gave you homework which we never do at luminous church but we gave you homework last week What are we turning into? You were supposed to read Nehemiah chapter three and pronounce all those names through the Bible app as it read it to you. And and this is what they did. They they built these gates and they started building these gates. And and, and we read in chapter four, chapter four, that that as they were building, some oppression occurs. Let's, Let's read about this opposition in chapter four. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that?" Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. How many know, like, these guys are starting to oppose the building, starting to jeer at them, talking about a fox. See, You got to realize, in, in Jerusalem, these foxes would just run through all the rubbish, and they would run around, and this light fox, this, this 10-pound fox would get up on their wall, and it would just crumble i mean what are they what are they supposed they're gonna do i mean how many of you ever try to like build something out of a bunch of broken pieces like it it just like doesn't work you know where you go up to your neighbor like dude that's that's not gonna hold you know that's not gonna last right and and yet yet here they are building and we see this that that sand ballot he starts accusing over and over again he starts saying things and, and and how many know like bullying In school, or bullying in the workplace, or bullying in life is usually somebody who's just really insecure of your ability they insecure that maybe, maybe you do have some talent. Maybe you do have some position and some platform. Maybe you can do some stuff. And so they decide to knock you down with some words to hold you back. Maybe you've been a victim of that or you've been knocked down by some words. Be held back from what God has called you to do. I'm telling you, this happens all the time because Satan is real and he's an accuser. So just as real as your freedom is that we take so seriously, there is an enemy who doesn't want you to walk in that freedom. And it's just as real as the freedom itself. This accuser will start coming and speaking lies to you, trying to hold you back from the mission that God has set you on. I've been saying this for the last several weeks. Maybe I'm just going to sound like a broken record. You ought to hear something seven times before you actually believe it. So maybe we'll do this for a few more weeks. So so here's what's happening. And, and the Satan held no bounds. Like, like, like he would mess with the little and he would mess with the big in fact satan tried to hold jesus back several times you may remember in luke chapter four where he takes jesus up and he starts tempting him in every way that jesus was tempted in every way right like with the the pride the glory the lust he was tempted in all these ways but but in matthew 16 23 jesus was accused by satan from one of his closest friends his closest friend was, was trying to hold him back. His closest friend that didn't have Jesus' perspective in mind. He had his own agenda. And I'm going to tell you that, that Satan's crafty like that. He'll come from outside opposition like Sam Ballard, but he'll also come from inward opposition like we'll read in a moment. But, but Satan's going to come all different ways to try to hold you back, try to speak to you. And in Matthew 16:23, it says this, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Here you have Peter trying to talk him into staying. Hey, Jesus, just stay here. It's going to be awesome. The kingdom's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And what does Jesus say? He says, Get behind me, Satan. It's a fascinating concept. I, I wonder, you know, so we see that Satan possesses Judas. Was this a moment that Peter was actually possessed where the accuser was speaking out of Peter's mind to, to Jesus? Was he actually, was that Satan actually speaking? I imagine that it was because, because Jesus was pretty literal and he said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. How many of you ever heard like something contrary to God? Something contrary to God. I'm going to tell you that that's either your, your own fleshly thoughts, which is sin, or it's the devil. If it's contrary to God, it's either sin or it's the devil. And those things are coming against you all the time. Your depraved mind, how many of you got some depravity in your mind? Man, I do all the time. Right now, I'm judging you. I'm looking at some of you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Lord, help me. When the accuser comes out you, I, w- I want to give you three things. Three things. And you can write these down if you're taking notes since we're, you know, like studying and I'm trying to teach the best I know how. The first thing is don't come into agreement with the lie. Don't come into agreement with a lie. Wherever you have come into agreement with a lie, it has set root inside of your soul, and it starts depositing things that that you you don't want to be involved with. And you wonder, like, why am I mad right now? Has anybody ever thought that? Like, why? I'm just getting angry all the time. It's probably because you came into agreement with something. A, a while back, where you agreed, like, oh man, I'm justified if somebody pulls in my lane, even though they're 100 feet in front of me and they didn't use their blinker. I'm a justified get mad at them, right? Because Satan's like, you need to hate that person, and he doesn't do it like that, right? He's like, oh, get mad right now, get get mad. You're like, yeah, I need to get mad because that was wrong, and I need to be righteous right now, and I need to start getting mad. And so you start getting mad, and then and then every time somebody cuts you off, you realize you're mad. You're like, why am I mad at that? Because you came in agreement with it, like I know that's silly, but we've done it in bigger pieces and bigger pictures. What have you come in agreement with that Satan has accused you of? Don't come in agreement with it, but walk out of agreement by saying, "By saying Jesus, forgive me of that moment. I give you that moment right now, Lord. Release me of that. Let me walk in a new way." That's it. The second thing is don't enter into the argument. Don't enter into the argument with Satan, right? When, when he starts speaking to you and he starts speaking these lies and you start arguing, you start just sitting there and arguing and stewing and thinking that you're smarter than him. Have you ever tried that? Like just start putting a logical thought together once once you heard something. Oh man, I'm gonna put a logical thought, a logical argument around this, and I'm gonna start building it up and building up and building up. And next thing you know, like like you you believe something different. Have you ever found that to be true? You found that to be true and it's not it's not a God thought It's like it's like a A Satan thought that's just like twisted in your mind into what you have. Don't enter into the argument. Do you see, did Jesus ever enter into the argument? You see, when when the devil spoke against him, he just spoke the word. And the devil left. Many times this happened when when Jesus was tempting. He just spoke the word and the devil left. Just spoke the word, the devil left. He just spoke some truth and the devil left. Peter was trying to talk him into staying, and he says, what? Get behind me, Satan. He didn't say, well, Peter, you don't understand. I've been trying to tell you about this for three years, you know, that I must go because it's better for me to go. I've said this to you multiple times. Let's sit down for some coffee. I'm going to tell you again. So here's what's going to happen is we're going to go to a garden and you're going to fall asleep while I'm praying. I'm going to get mad, righteous mad, just like where's my bros with me. And and then you're going to fall asleep again. And then I'm going to be betrayed. And you're going to cut some guy's ear off, you know, and I'm going to say the kingdom's not going to come like that, Peter, put the ear back on. And then, and then, then, then going to drag me off they're going to beat me and slay me and then they're going to put me up on a cross and i'm going to die and you're not going to be found because you're going to be hiding from that middle school little kid And, and so so that's you so peter let's just let's just talk about it right like don't 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 jesus just knew i'm not going to do that because then peter starts starts going again right because he realized he was having a he was having a devil thought he was having a sinful thought. Well, well, Jesus, we could do this and we go to a different garden, you know, and then we hide it from them, and then we go over here, and then and then you start this argument, and you start going and going and going. You realize like it's an endless cycle if you start arguing. Do you realize that spouses, you ever try to argue with somebody in the heat of the moment, trying to find out who's going to win this thing? It doesn't work. We do it all the time in apologetics. I'll just tell you this. Like, the church is, is hyped up on apologetics, right? Which I love. I love apologetics. Let's give a reason for the case for Christ, and we need that, and Lee Strobel and, and everybody who's, who's really fought for it. The Museum of the Bible by the Green family is incredible. The ark that was made is incredible. I mean, all these things are amazing. It just affirms our faith deeper, but what happens is you hear an argument on the college campus, and they start telling you about something, and they start talking about Mother God, and that that, that, that there's, another, there's another side of God, and they, they start bringing up all these things that are theologically not sound, and so you start, you start questioning, you start thinking about it, and you start entertaining, well, maybe so. Maybe that is truth. Maybe that is great. Oh, that sounds so great. Well, what about this? And then you start having conversations with them, and then you sit down, and then y'all you, build a relationship, and then you start believing some things contrary to what Jesus has put in you. So, so, so there's a place for apologetics, but if you're constantly trying to argue with the accuser, I'm telling you, there have been more pastors lost in seminaries than any other place. Because they had all their questions, and they started asking their questions, and they started arguing and arguing and arguing. Do you realize, like, at the end of the day, you just have to trust God? It doesn't matter how many arcs are built and how many museums and how many things. There comes to a place that faith in God gets you to where he has you and where he wants you. The next thing that you see is when Satan starts accusing you, you have to deflect to God. And this is what Nehemiah does is he starts praying he starts praying like a righteous prayer, like like righteous, like 80s righteous, like awesome prayer, like righteous, dude, kind of prayer. That's the youth pastor coming out. I'll stop that. Verse 4, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. This is a crazy prayer. How many of you realize, like, if somebody's accusing you, you start praying something like this? I, I, I just have to let you know, like, Nehemiah's not, not sinfully praying. Like, oh, God, just, just wipe them out. They are wicked, despised. People have no grace for them. He kind of is praying that as we read. But you have to put it in perspective that they are not mocking Nehemiah, but they're mocking God. They're mocking God and his glory and his grandeur and who he is and coming against his glory that's displayed on the earth through the temple. And they're they're mocking everything about God and who God is. And at this moment, it, it offends Nehemiah to the core like, God, they are making fun of you. Would you be just and take care of them? Would you do this? Verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Samballah and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space beyond the wall, in open places, i stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Isn't this an amazing charge? He says, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your, your wives, your husbands. I don't know. They just fight for a lot of people. And this echoes in Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, as, as Moses, the leader, gets, gets wiped out, and he's not with them, and they're supposed to go and take the promised land. How many of you know, like, when your leader is gone, it's hard to rally? When, you, when your hope is gone, it's hard to rally. It's, you feel a little discouraged. When everybody's coming against you, it's hard to rally. When all these voices are coming against you, it's hard to rally. And Joshua knew this. He knew this, after the death of Moses and Joshua the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you all, these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful, do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and create courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is such a promise to Joshua, and I want to tell you why is this important to us. Because as God was with Moses God was with Joshua. As God was with Joshua, God was with Nehemiah. As God is with Nehemiah, God is with you. And this is important to know because if you don't realize that and you don't read the scripture that if God was for them, he's for me because I'm in God. I'm in Christ. All my faith, all my hope, all my love, all my affection, everything I am and all that I say and all that I do is in Christ. It is the motivation that be strong and courageous. For I was with them, I am with you. I am with you, and we need to know that as, as believers, that God is with me because there's a lot coming against you, finances, maybe what people are saying, maybe heart situations, maybe a sickness and disease, maybe there's so many things coming against you, but do you know that God is with you, be strong. And courageous, for I am with you. And what I have called the church to do, I will fulfill the mission of the church. You realize that we're just a small part of something really big, but we're still a part of it. We're still with. We're still with it. the five hundred people who got saved in Baja. You and I are a part of that. We fasted. We prayed. We dreamed. We gave. We did all these things to see God move in miraculous ways. You are a part of that. Be strong and courageous like david said david was persecuted you realize that david was promised the kingdom before he inherited the kingdom do you realize this, like, like like, he was promised the kingdom before he inherited the kingdom. This is what I speak of my son every day. God, would he not know a day without you? My daughter, Lord Jesus, I just pray they wouldn't know a day without you. They haven't made a profession of faith. They haven't, they haven't done this, but I know that they are in the kingdom. I know that God's with them. God's for them. God's not against them. And as David did this, Saul was after his life. How would you like it if you had that stalker? Some of you had that kind of stalker, you know, always hunting you. You're like, whoa, what are you doing at the mailbox right now? That's weird. Like some some of you, like, you know, had that kind of stalker. But what if somebody was stalking you every day, hunting you down with the army that he had to hunt you down and destroy you and kill you? Man, David had it hard in Psalm 11. And the Lord I take refuge how then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? In the Lord I take a refuge. I will not flee. In the Lord I will take a refuge. Psalm 22, 7, all who see me mock me and hurl insults, shaking their heads. That they're constantly hurling insults. They're constantly mocking me. They're constantly after me. Psalm seventy-seven, eleven. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles long ago because I need those miracles and I need to remember those deeds so that I can keep going on. In my emotional state, which is fragile at times, right? Like I need something that just grounds me. Does anybody need some grounding? Like some some of you ladies, like, you know, hey, I need about twenty K in my bank account and I'll be grounded, right? No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Nineteen nine 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 nine. You know, like we gotta put one penny in there. Okay. <laughs> Like we need that kind of grounding, we need we need that kind of security, we need that kind of assurance, we we need it, and it helps us and it motivates us. And every almost every entrepreneur that we see who's been successful, they've had adversity. How do you realize this? Like constant adversity, adversity, constant trials, constant mocking, constant different things, abuse. Uh, the people said they can't, but they did. We see this all over the place. I mean, we know about Thomas Edison. That's the one everybody throws it out. Like 10,000 times i failed. But then then you know what's his famous quote i have not failed i just found 10000 ways that won't work right like, like isn't that amazing he has that you know you have oprah who who loses a child when she's 14 years old and and yet she 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 still verses and she still perseveres and she still goes forward right and she still believes like yeah that promises for me like like i'm believing in that dream the american dream and i just know it's going to be there and through abuse from from uncle and, and and different people she 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 just persevered and now she has like 2.7 billion dollars in wealth it's it's crazy or or what about Walt Disney right he gets fired from his first job because they said you're not creative that's crazy like you're not creative and and so he persevered and drew a little mouse and he made a little cartoon and and now look right if you just persevere but but i'm going to tell you that's amazing for the american dream but what about the god dream what about what god has put inside you what about the kingdom that he's promised what about this do you realize in revelation At the end of Revelation, it said that that the new heavens and the new earth will come, and and the the city, the the Jerusalem will come down, and there will be the city for the people of God to dwell in and be in, that it's going to persevere, it's going to happen, it's going to last, it's going to come through, and us as the church, we have the charge right now. In 2018, will we persevere? Will we keep building the walls? Will we still advance the kingdom? Will we go to all the earth? Man, last week we took up serve the world offering to bring missionaries over here so that when they plan church. You realize in one Sunday y'all gave $2,200. That's amazing. Like, that's amazing. Like, that's awesome that we're just bringing people in, and we're going to be a part of this, and we're going to go tell people. You can you can't do two chapters in one Sunday. <laughs> Verse fifteen, the the wall resumes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spear shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held this weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another, miles and miles apart. And the places where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labor at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. By day, So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me. None of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Nehemiah was stinky after 50 plus days. He didn't take off his clothes, and it's crazy. There's so many things happening here. So many things that we see that we can observe. And the truth is, is what we see is one of the last observations So we have to be adaptable adaptability in the church will do a lot of things sometimes it's not that you reinvent theology or doctrine don't do that please we don't we don't reinvent theology and doctrine but we reinvent the methodology on how to reach people and how to reach the lost you see the way they were building the walls wasn't going to work if they kept building the walls that way do you understand that they would have been dead like 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 the, the the schemes of the the, the encampments around them, Samballot and all these armies would have came in and they would have killed them. So they, they had to re-up and restrategize and we have to do it differently. We have to start building walls differently. And so they started a strategy. We're gonna blow this trumpet and when it happens, you come to our rescue and we'll be there and we'll we'll keep building and, and when this trumpet blows, we'll run over there and we'll build there and, and we see this over and over and over again. And and the truth is is We're called to do something. We're called to to plant churches and campus ministries and world missions. And we're called to go to the ends of the earth to spread the gospel. And it's going to be a lot of different methodologies, right? So some of us will be in cathedrals and some of us will be in homes and some of us will be in encampments taking care of people and leading Bible studies and discipling these fundamental basic truths that do not change. We're going to put people through the purple book because this is some biblical foundations that do not change. And if you get through this, then maybe you'll have something to stand on when the enemy comes. Maybe it'll deposit in you just a little bit deeper. You can't build on an event. You can't build on an experience. You have to build on foundation. You have to build on the rock, on what God has put there in place. So some of us have to build differently. Do you realize culture is shifting? For those who are single in here, culture is shifting. It's shifting like crazy. Do you you realize like like used to, it was taught in the church and by our culture and society that that a a man was going to stay pure and he was going to find a girl and he was going to ask mom and dad if he could have permission to court her. He would, he would have permission and then he would, he would take her out in groups and they wouldn't be alone or isolated and, until the day that they were married. And then they would get married and they would have kids and it would be so godly, but culture's changed. And we have ladies in the 30s, where's my man? Where's my man? Not that we're just looking for men because we're not, because singleness is amazing. It should be celebrated. In fact, it should be celebrated. It's not that we should get married or have to get married, but, but things look a little different looks a little different as this couple, Dave and Leanne, were in our uh, pursuit class, our, our marriage prep class, and they're in there, and they met on coffee meets bagel. You realize, like, sometimes you got to, like, like, actually do things a little differently. It's a little different approach. There's different ways to build, isn't there? There's different ways that things are going to happen. We have to be adaptable. Some of the old ways won't work, but yet... The doctrine and theology remains the same, right? Like, we still remain pure. We still remain holy. We still chase after God. But it may look a little differently. It may look a little differently than what I grew up in and my culture says. It may look a little differently, but that doesn't mean it's not God. See, God can do it in many different ways, and we have to be open in that. We have to be open to that with our businesses. We have to be open to that so many other things. And God's going to give you the God ideas that you need to fulfill the God destiny of the walls that you need to be built. But we have to think differently as a church. How are we going to reach people? How are we going to reach the lost? You realize like. Sunday morning, is not going to be the only place that lost people get saved anymore. Used to, it was the place. Used to, you put up a name on an evangelist, and you filled an at t center, and everybody came, and, and thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions got saved, and family trees were changed, but we may have to do something a little different. There may be a different methodology, and so what as the church are we doing to win the city? What are we doing as the church to win people? It may look different. And God may give you a God idea and drop it in your heart so that some may be saved. What is that? What does it look like? I would encourage us that we would not take our freedom for granted, but we'd walk in the freedom of Christ, telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me and what he's done for you. Now he's set us free to walk freely in him. Would you stand with me this morning as I pray for you? you close your eyes, if you wouldn't mind, just to eliminate distraction. You know, I was thinking, building differently. Circumstance, things change. Life changes. We're a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church. Looks very different. You don't build the same, as you build in a Mono-ethnic church, you don't build the same as you build in a generational specific church. You, you have to build differently. It looks differently. You celebrate things that that some people may not celebrate. You cry with people when maybe other people groups aren't crying. You encourage people you didn't even know needed encouragement, but because you do life with one another shoulder to shoulder, you realize everybody's in a different place. You encourage so many things to celebrate, so many things to mourn. But I'm thankful that we get to do this together. I'm thankful that we get to be the church where we keep building the way that God has called us to build in this city because this city needs to see Jesus so clearly. Father, I just thank you for the church this morning. And Lord, almost a corporate message, not even a single specific message or a single specific response this morning, but more a corporate response of our church. Lord, what are you calling us to and what you have placed our hands to, the hands to the plow, God, I pray our church would do the best it can to build the best we know how. Father, where we need to change and be adaptable, I pray that you would reveal that. God, I thank you, Lord, for the prayer workers that have been at every gate in this city. God, have been praying, believing that their gate would be built and that the city of God would be a light unto the city for all to see, not hidden under a basket, no. But that we would shine, we'd be luminous to all people. That the light of Jesus Christ would shine upon all men. So that they may awake and see that you are so good. Father, I thank you for this. I thank you for your church. In Jesus' name, amen.